Welcome back to the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to make us part of your listening experience. We're starting an Out of the Vault series featuring sessions from the 2018 Pastors Conference that TCSC hosts every year. You're gonna hear messages from Jim Cimbala, who's written numerous books and pastors the famous Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, as well as from Pastor Gary Wilkerson and our very own Ron Brown. Today we begin our journey with Pastor Jim Cimbala. Listen in, be blessed, and thank you for choosing the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. It's an honor to be invited here and see Pastor Gary and his wife and um, you know about him and you learn a little bit, well, you know a lot about him and how uh, he's oh, ministered here every year. That's so excellent. And how God used his dad to start Teen Challenge. Um, and you learned a little bit about me. It's true. My wife and I um, started in downtown Brooklyn and a very depressing situation. And neither of us were trained to do what we ended up doing. I never went to a seminary or whatever. And she still to this day can't read or write music. Uh, she'd never been trained. Um, so. The joke in our church is she doesn't know what she's doing. She just keeps doing it every Sunday, and we're happy. So, um, so we had a lot of discouragements along the way and a lot of battles. So I can, I think, empathize, as Pastor Gary can empathize with all of you. First offering we took, the tithes and offering, was $85 was the total tithes and offering. So we both got second jobs. We had just started at this dilapidated building and inherited some people. Um, and what to do? Oh, God, we need you. All the Psalms, you know, resonated with me like, come quickly, oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> And I'm just thinking, as, because I'm, I'm here and Teen Challenge has such a deep place in my heart. So we've referred so many people to Teen Challenge and other programs, and then some we try to work with on our own. But uh, <clears throat> sometimes when you work with people, you, you, you know, love believes all things, hopes all things, but it always work out the way you want it to. So I'm just thinking, as I mentioned, my wife, uh, there was a guy that came in named Tito from the Bronx or wherever he was from, and he had been on drugs, and he gave his heart to the Lord, or he professed faith, and we couldn't get him in a program, so I said, look, Tito, just work here in maintenance and do cleaning, whatever, but I, I wanna, we wanna stay close to you. So he stayed, and he was there a few weeks, so my wife comes to me one day and says, Jim, my boombox is gone from my office. Someone stole my boombox. She was using it then to listen to music and figure out stuff because she doesn't write it out and all of that. And she says, you know who took my boombox? Your friend Tito took my uh, boombox. I said, no, 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 Carol, Carol, come on. That's judgmental now. Come on, you got to lighten up here. You don't know, you didn't see him do it. She said, you know he did it, and you do this all the time. 
You're trying to help people, but they're not ready to be just let loose here around here. So I go, no. So I got her another boombox. So about a month later, her boombox, new boombox is gone. Yeah, that's exactly how she felt. And she was going, she going, that's it. I'm telling you. I don't want to see Tito near at my office and all that. I know you're trying to help him, but he's weak and, and he must need money to buy drugs. Boomboxes are good things to, to turn around and get money back then. It was crack um, that everybody was getting money for. In fact, Tito was the one who told me, I think. He said, you know, Pastor, it has a voice. And when it calls you, you are coming. How you'll get the money is another question, but you are coming when it calls you. So I, I, got, I weathered that storm. And then one day we're having a staff meeting about a week later. And um, I was in my, left my office, went into the lobby, and we had staff prayer and all of that. And it was carrying down around then one of these little leather cases where you put your glasses, a New Testament, my wallet, and all that. I could carry it around. And I come back to the office afterward. And I go on the phone, and I go to get my wallet for some reason. I open it, and every credit card is gone. Every credit card. And I started just yelling, Tito, where are you? You better get back over here with my credit cards. And he was gone. And oh, my wife came to me and said, oh, when your credit cards are gone, it's a little bit different, isn't it? I thought he was a diamond in the rough. I thought you were working with him. And sure enough, he bought a couple of pairs of sneakers within 10 minutes, and then he went to Macy's and charged about $400. But I'm so glad that God is patient not only with Tito, but with all of us. Because we've all made so many mistakes, haven't we? It's a wonder when you think of all the wrong decisions and poor sermons that I preached. My sermons at the beginning were so bad, I fell asleep while I was preaching, <laughs> not just the people. And that's the truth. We all had a rest. Uh, you know that verse, come unto me and I will give you rest. That was my, uh, my main theme. So, but God is patient, amen? How many are happy he's been patient with us? Can you lift your hand? And, and he keeps on showing grace. And we, I, we still aren't what we should be, but we're not what we used to be, thank God. And um, so I just feel impressed this morning. Uh, I had an encounter with the Lord about eight, nine years ago when I was totally run down Battery totally just empty. Oh my goodness. Traveling, running out, running around too much. And this, that, the other. And I got alone. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't even go in the office that day. I just got alone with the Lord, spent the whole day with him. And, and an odd thing happened among, he baptized me with a peace that I really needed. You know, brothers and sisters, these things that we talk about, love, peace, power, we're just scratching the surface. They have meanings that has a depth that none of us have ever plumbed. And the temptation is, especially in contemporary church, is to go off 
into some new little nuance and some crazy thing that's not even in scripture, instead of digging, going down deeper into, uh, into what that means. Well, I was so baptized with peace that I actually said out loud in that little room in my attic, my top floor of the house I lived in then, like, God, what is this? Because it was sublime, it was amazing. But during that time, the Lord spoke to me, just to me, about not preaching with notes. I had preached with notes all my life, and I felt the Lord speak to me uh, not to preach with notes. So it's been almost nine years that I have not preached with notes. And maybe later on today, if we have Q&A or talk, some of the things I've learned about that, how it's helped me. Not that there's anything wrong preaching with notes and whatever like that, but it, it's helped me in a number of ways. Uh, and it's also got me accustomed to like, oh God, show me what to talk about. And, and you know, in the book of Acts, none of the, to show you how warped our thinking can get on this. In the book of Acts, none of the sermons that we have, did any of those people know they would even preach that day? Acts 2, Acts 3. Acts 10 of Cornelius' house, all the case of Peter. He never knew he would preach on the day of Pentecost, nor would he preach when the lame man was healed. Paul in Acts 13 in the, in the, in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia, when they said, stand up and give us a word, he didn't know he would speak, much less have notes. He wouldn't know he would speak. That's why the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, speaking to one another. And a lot of times our notes gets us into too many points. It's one of the things I've learned. I want to encourage you. The human being, two things. You, the humans, I don't care where you are, California, New York City. You, it, the human, where the way God made us, we can't feel deeply about more than one or maybe one and a half things deeply to make for repentance or change or prayer or faith. You can't feel deeply about more than one, one and a half things. So by not preaching um, with notes, I would be making a lot of points and they were very good, but I made so many points that I think people left and went, it sounded good, I don't remember anything he said, but, uh, and it was all true. Why? Because you can't preach, love is the most important thing, but Jesus is coming again, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything. And you know, Satan was once Lucifer and then he fell. I mean, all those things are true, but what's the point? Are you with me on that? So by preaching without notes, I make less points but hopefully, by God's grace, people can feel and remember that's what he spoke on. That's what God was saying to us. Whenever you hear a preacher say, point nine, you know, no, that's not going to work. No. That's over. Yeah, not going to happen. And I, one other thing I just want to tell all of you, you know, I pray, on, we have a prayer meeting of over 1,000, 1,500 people every Tuesday. And... I come early sometimes and talk to the people. They make lines and then I have pastors and deacons and little groups, maybe seven across the front and uh, they come and security just sends them to whoever's free next. And you talk to them and they wanna give me their prayer request but I talk to them about, so where you live? How long you been a Christian? How long you coming here? Have I ever met you? What do you do for a living? 
And you know what you pick up? You pick up a lot of ADD. You pick up a lot of hurt and pain. Because you've got to know the condition. Shepherds got to know the condition of their flock. How, how are you going to know what to preach on and how to have empathy if you don't even know what the people are going through? So you can't be one of these preachers that just, you know, is dropped down from a cloud behind the pulpit and then he just disappears. I mean, good grief. Nobody, nobody can do that and serve God uh, the prop, proper way. You've got to know where the people are at. And what's helped me was it's like I pick up how they struggle. They're new in the Lord. Their thinking process, not so sequential. So I go, oh, am I being understood by the people? It might be doctrinally sound, but are they getting it? Maybe I need to go slower. Oh, God, help me. I need wisdom. Wisdom builds the house. You can be zealous, filled with the Holy Spirit. You can mean well. If you don't have wisdom, you could destroy your church. Destroy your sermon. Some people have just absolutely zero wisdom. Zero. I go to places, and no wonder the people don't come and get saved and all of that. It makes no spiritual sense. There's no wisdom. The praise and worship has no wisdom. This was wonderful praise and worship today, wasn't it? That was excellent. Very good. But it just is going all over the place and the meeting and everything. Is, and, and the stranger and the unlearned person is going to come in and go, what is up with this? Didn't, didn't Paul teach that in Corinthians? If you all speak in tongues? He didn't say it wasn't real. He didn't say they were counterfeit. He said, no, if any of you speak in real tongues but there's no order and sense to it, people are going to go, what is this? You all are crazy. I'm out of here. So our meetings have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they have to have a wisdom and a pointedness to them so that people can leave and say, surely God was in the midst of those people. How many want that for your church more than anything else? Not the name of the pastor or what a precious word he preached. I don't want that. I want God was in that place. God was in that play. Otherwise, you get the cult of the speaker and the man of God. It's like a cult. And people are hanging on every word instead of reading the word for themselves, right? So this is all good, and it's unprepared. Isn't that excellent? Um, so, oh, just for my mistakes, I could keep here a long time today. Um, so I want to I read this to you. A few days later, Mark 2, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. That's interesting, that Jesus had a home in Capernaum. Most people don't think of that. They just think of Nazareth. But he must, when he went into ministry, had settled into some kind of situation there. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them, the word meaning the good news. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I've always wondered, how did the owner of the house feel about that? I mean, dude, you're breaking my roof here, you know? No, we got to get him. When Jesus saw their faith, Another very puzzling sentence, when Jesus saw, plural, their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that, that'll really twist your theology around. 
Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's, a blasph he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking about these things, thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus here in this Gospel of Mark, which is short, succinct, little pictures, where it seems like Mark, who is greatly influenced by his relationship with Peter, is writing this Gospel probably in the mid-60s AD, and he is telling, he wants to explain to Gentiles that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. And in this Gospel, he explains Jewish customs and terms, unlike Matthew, who wrote mostly for a Jewish audience, he's writing to Gentiles and he knows they wouldn't know what this was about. And now he wants to show the power that Jesus has, and we see power in two areas here, don't we? Two levels. We see the power in the spiritual level. Jesus forgives sins. Vertically, invisibly, our relationship with God Jesus forgives sins. There's forgiveness of sins. He operates first in the realm of the invisible and the spiritual, but he's also Lord of the physical realm. So then he says to the man, take up your mat and get out of here, walk. And, and the man is healed. So Jesus is seen here uh, showing his authority in both realms. Uh, of both the spiritual and the physical. And by the way, it was Mark who points out that when Jesus began to teach, uh, the, the, the people said this about him. Wow, this man, when he teaches, he speaks with such authority. Unlike the Pharisees who just were flapping their lips and saying things which probably some of them were true, but no authority. So brothers and sisters, come on, we're all doing this work together. I flew here across the country after three services yesterday uh, in New York to encourage you. We, we gotta got, ask God for authority when we speak. And that only comes from God. You can't teach authority. You know, we're in the day of give a symposium on everything. You can't teach authority. God gives authority. And it's not by raising your voice. It's not by putting a tear in your voice. You can't fake it. It's not by shouting. It's not being quiet and mystical. It's none of that. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And when we speak, we need authority in our words. Because you can even speak the word of God and put people to sleep. Please, with all these empty churches in Brooklyn, Brooklyn used to be called, Brooklyn, by the way, is the, uh, would be the fourth largest city in America, now some say third, uh, if it was a city by itself, just the borough that I'm in, Brooklyn. And um, after New York and LA and Chicago, it might be bigger than Chicago now. But uh, it's it used to be called the borough of churches. And now those churches are all empty. 
And not all of them departed into heresy from orthodoxy. A lot of them, it just got to be the same old, same old. And people vote with their feet and go, no, that did not speak to my life. That did not speak to my heart. The day of getting people to come to church because they should be in church, bye-bye. That day is adios, muchachos, that's gone. That, that people are going to come because they're fed. Yeah. People are going to become because they meet God. Yeah. And that's on us. Yeah. No, look, it's, it is what it is. Es lo que es. It is what it is. If the people aren't fed, don't want to come, don't meet God. Who am I going to blame? The devil? Jesus is greater than the devil. That's on us. That's the challenge of ministry. Where you have to face yourself and get to the end of yourself. Uh, uh, there was a time when I first started when things were going so difficult and I was so discouraged and, I, and I, I didn't see any of the promises of God working out the way I knew he wanted them to. Uh, conversions and changed lives and baptisms and those kinds of things and walking alone in the auditorium on a Tuesday afternoon knowing that Tuesday night we would have a prayer meeting. It wasn't a prayer meeting. It was a warmed over bad Sunday service uh, uh, and there would be about five or eight people there and but in that afternoon by myself I was walking back and forth and I said God you have to change me you have to change me I can't lay this on the people well the people don't want to hear the word of God wake up come on we can be used by God. We can be like John the Baptist. We can speak with authority. Uh, Dio Moody uh, wasn't trained and, and had a lot of physical impairments, but couldn't hinder his, his usefulness. So God changed me. And if you're not going to change me as I was praying, and you got to get desperate like that, brothers and sisters. Look, I, I'm going to tell it like it is here because you know I love you. I know you know I love you. And... Um, I said to God out loud, God, if you're not going to do something, I'm not going to live with what God did one day back in the day, or oh, before Jesus comes again, God's going to pour out. I don't want, I've watched enough of that. I watch men go 20, 30 years with very little fruit, uh, talking either the past or the future tense. I want to see it now. Ahora, now, God. So God, if you're not going to change me, then take my life. I had one child. My daughter Chrissy, she was little, a year and a half, two years old, something like that, maybe two and a half. I knew God could take care of Carol and her. But I mean, the idea of just having same old, same old, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. I couldn't. Don't accept that. God has something better for all of us. If you accept what is instead of what could be, just think what could be in your church. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing's changed. Maybe we've changed. Maybe we don't have faith or desperation or whatever. You know, this, this ministry where you're at right now, Teen Challenge, you don't think this started with smoke and mirrors. His father went nuts. His father got crazy for God. I used to have long talks with him about that. He'd tell me about early days when he would ride around the city in a motorcycle, just weeping, seeing all this destruction through drugs. It was birth. Things, you know, it's like women give birth. When Zion travails, she'll bring forth. So you got to remember that, brothers, brothers and sisters. We're fighting against the devil. What do you think? A cleverness with PowerPoints is going to change him? I mean, you talk to people and you wonder, what are you talking about? 
no, you got to get the new thing with PowerPoint and, and this and they're, they're, no, you need these new choruses. We already got 7,000 choruses. We don't need a new chorus. We need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. So anyway. So let me, let me get to where, what I think God wants us to do today. So that, 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 that has a lot of mystery in it, that little story. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. What was that about? Uh, but the hidden, of course, heroes of this, of course, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is always the hero. But the, the hidden message in here, none of this would have happened. Man wouldn't have his sins forgiven, and he'd still be lame right now if it wasn't for four guys who drug him. How long did they drag him? How, where'd they come from? How far away did he live? How much did he weigh? He's dragging them. They're dragging them. Okay? And when they get there, they only have one thought. We got to get them in front of Jesus. Because if we can get our friend who we love in front of Jesus, something's going to happen. Oh, what kind? Whoa, look, look at that faith. If we can get them in front of Jesus, there's going to be a miracle. When they get there, they can't get in. So many people want to hear Jesus. They can't get in. The doors, the room, it's all gone. Standing room only, like it is here now, this today. They can't get them in. Well, let's go home. You know, it didn't work out. But God knows all things. You know, it must be uh, an, uh, um, uh, the plan of God from all eternity that our friend is just going to remain lame because if God wanted us to get him in front of Jesus, the door would have, there would have been a spot there and someone would have said, my, come in with your friend. <laughs> no, but uh, the, the, the plans of God from all eternity, my foot, you live, you live with that, you live with that uh, the, the edicts of God from before eternity. Listen, live in the real world here with me just for a second, okay? They said, no way. No way we're not going to get him to Jesus. Well, how are you going to get him to Jesus? How did they drag him up on that roof? Just think of that. See, for God to do things, someone has to, someone has to overcome obstacles and difficulties and say, no, over my dead body, am I not going to get to Jesus? Jesus will change this. Jesus will change this situation. It's all on Jesus. But notice sometimes how the devil will try to block us from what God wants to do. So many people have rationalized death and no growth and no converts and no anything and saying, well, God is on the throne. I know he's on the throne. But I'm not going to live walking around saying he's on the throne when I see no fruit. By this my Father will be glorified that you bear much fruit. How is God glorified? By bearing fruit. But there's battles. We're fighting against Satan. So anyway, I'm done. They get him up on the roof. And now they're going through the tiles or whatever else was up on that roof. I hope the guy had insurance, the guy who owned the house. <laughs> Because they're tearing this place apart. Then how do they drop them down? I mean, just think of it. Picture it in your mind. But whatever Jesus was teaching, 
He said, oh no, hold the message. I got to do something with this man when he saw their faith. When you see faith with that kind of persistence, I don't care how long the battle is, something has to break down. Something has to break. Otherwise, throw away your Bible. Throw away your Bible. The whole history of the Christian church and the history of outpourings of the Holy Spirit and the birthing of ministries and all of that have when people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Everyone else who's content to, hey, look, we're paying the bills. I can still play golf twice a week and all of that. Listen, nothing's going to happen with that. And how sad that will be when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat and he tests the quality of our work. Not the quantity, but the quality of it. So the man, Jesus stops and and, um, you know what happens. He speaks words of pardon, and then he speaks words of deliverance. And the man jumps up, and oh, how Jesus is glorified when they see a changed life. So this past Friday night, uh, I flew back from Florida, and I, I had a meeting with our prayer band. So we have a prayer band made up of about 500 people who come to the church. They're praying right now. They know where I am. They know my sessions today. They know everything about me my family, my children, my grandchildren, all the other pastors, all our missionaries that we support and who have gone out. They know everything about everything. They're praying for every service. They get request cards from around the world. We pray for those sometimes on Tuesday in the prayer meeting. But the prayer band will pray 30 days. They come in, they got to give at least one hour a week, but some are coming in for four, six, eight hours a week, different days, from early in the morning to late at night, they're there. I was talking to them on Friday. They had a, one of their um, quarterly meetings, and there were new prayer band people there, and I said to them, as God brought this verse to, to mind, I said, you know what you are? You know what you are, prayer band? You're the four guy. What is intercessory prayer? It's dropping people down in front of Jesus. Because they don't know enough, they can't get there themselves. If the guy could have gotten there, they wouldn't have had to drag him and let him down. Some people can't get there. They're strung up on Oxycontin. They're strung up with an ungodly lifestyle. They're bound by this thing, that thing, prejudice, pride. It can be whatever it is. It can be your church. It can be my church. It could be our ministry and the way we preach. You've got to get it into the presence of Jesus for somebody else so that God can do what only God can do. I don't know what kind of prayer life you have. I want more for myself. But in your, in your church, you've got to lead the people to pray. You get it? My house shall be called not a house of teaching. Oh my goodness, if teaching would have done it, would we be in the condition we're in right now? Do we need more Bible translations? No, I'm I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking to you. Do we need more sophistication and more technology? I'm all for it. Let's use it. I love every new song. Carol just finished a new CD. It has some of the most beautiful worship songs on it. But without God coming in answer to prayer, I don't know what we're going to do. I really don't know. Major denominations are in negative growth. They're losing out. 
and one major denomination I just learned in, in their schools, which used to be Bible schools, but are now just colleges, less than 2% or less than 5% are even studying to go in the ministry. I don't know what's going to happen. How are you going to replace these people? A leader of one denomination told me uh, uh, recently, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do about our, our, our missionary program in our church, in our denomination. He said, because everyone's getting older, they're getting gray, and they're going to retire, and there's no young millennial generation. What? Go to Bangladesh? Later for that. I want a new iPhone, man. I'm not going to Bangladesh. What are you talking about? What, are you lost your mind? I'm not going, giving up anything. That's very characteristic of the, of the, uh, of the, of the emergent church, uh, the young church. It's all about me. God's got to break. God's got to come. Only he can do that. And it only happens in prayer. You know, one of the last times I called his dad, no, maybe four or five years before he died, I called and his wife, Gwen, picked up, uh, his mom, Gary's mom, picked up. I said, could I speak to Brother Dave? Oh, hi, Jim. I said, I'm sorry to bother you. Could I just speak to your husband? No, you can't. He's, he's away in a room. He's not coming out. He's praying. He just won't come out. End of story. <laughs> he ain't talking. Oh, he's talking. He's talking to God. So years ago, when we just, things were starting to be blessed and grow, our oldest girl got away from us, got away from God, got away from us, was away, two and a half year nightmare. I don't want to go into it. I don't like going into it because there's scars that still haven't even healed. And uh, had a baby, had a wedlock, and my wife then had a hysterectomy or had female surgery, yeah, hysterectomy, and her, her um, estrogen levels were going just crazy. And, and then she's talking about wanting to end her life. And she's not even the woman I married. She's talking crazy. My daughter's away. I got two other kids. I'm trying to preach, start other churches, oversee churches. I, I just, you know, unless God comes, you're just, you're sunk. And listen, for those of you who have children, because I know some of you have children who are in need right now, you better drop them in front of Jesus like now. I tried money. I tried screaming. I tried crying. I, look, when, you, when your girl's away from God, you try everything. But sometimes... God takes away every prop and says, no, it's only between me and you. Just talk to me about it. So we got people praying. And just real quick, at the end of a prayer meeting, in the middle of a prayer meeting in February, I had not talked to her. I felt impressed to stop talking to her. Uh, God didn't want just leave her alone. Uh, that was in October, so November was tough. Thanksgiving, Christmas, oh, that was bad. Had my children and some other folks, but no Chrissy. Empty Christmas, then January, then February. Then in February, there's a prayer meeting, and this lady sends up a little note this big, and it's just handwritten. We're praying, calling on God. I had spoken from Acts 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And the little note said, I think we're supposed to pray for your daughter tonight. That's two and a half years into this nightmare. 
And I weighed it, tried to discern it, and said, no, I got, we gotta, we gotta, I gotta follow this. So I stopped the meeting at an appropriate, appropriate moment, turned the microphone to one of my associate pastors, and oh my goodness, did they pray. I told them, my daughter thinks up is down and down is up. She bonded with some guy, who, and she met him in our church. When you're in the inner city, the doors are open to everybody. You can't control who comes in. You got to be, and I was, it was my bad. I wasn't careful. I wasn't watching like I should have. But anyway, they prayed. And just about the next morning, my wife breaks into the bathroom while I'm shaving and says, you won't believe this. Chrissy's downstairs with the baby. I'll hold the baby, but she needs to see you. And I walk in the kitchen, and there she is on her hands and knees, weeping, crying convulsively. I walk over to her, not knowing what to do. I start to get emotional. She grabs my pants leg, I'll never forget that, and pulling on it, and lifts herself up, says, Daddy, I've sinned against God, and against myself, and against you, and whatever, but I met Jesus, he visited me. And then right away, she got up real close to me, up on my grill, and she said, who'd you have praying for me last night? <laughs> That's the truth. Who'd you have praying for me? Wait. I said, well, in fact, here's what happened. The people really called on God for you. Oh, did they drop her in front of Jesus? You see, when in certain cases, they don't know to pray. They can't pray. They're locked up. You can tell them you ought to pray and God will do it, but they don't, they're not in that position. Haven't you ever been in a position where you couldn't pray? I've been so discouraged, I couldn't pray. So let's close our eyes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.